0: But as we continue to study Jesus' life, we've wrapped up his first Judean ministry and we're moving into his Galilean ministry. Uh, and this is when, and we've talked about it, or we've referenced it rather in the past, uh, James has referenced it at one point, I've referenced it at one point, but Jesus' reception in his own hometown with his own people is far different than the people who, uh, you know, weren't from his neighborhood and weren't from his culture, which is, is kind of striking. Um, But we're moving out of John. We'll be back into Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, if you recall, we're not doing it book by book, but rather chronologically. And so we resume with the first three. And this morning specifically, we're going to be in Luke 14. Uh, If you want to turn there, we'll be in Luke 14, starting in, or I'm sorry, Luke 4, starting in verse 14. There we go. I'm still trying to get my mind right. Luke 4, starting in verse verse 14, reading through verse 30. Verse 30. Um, before we begin reading, let's let's just pray. Father, oh, so many of the words we sang this morning resonate so deeply that you alone are good. You bring light to the darkness, you restore what is broken. In your presence we are made whole. That we have no guilt in life, we have no fear in death, that there is no power in hell that can pluck us from your hand. We thank you for the truths of these words. And for the words we're about to receive in your holy word, God, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand, to see, to know. That we may know you more. That we may desire you more, God. Burden, burden this church with a passion for you. Burden this church with a hunger for you. Let us forsake all lesser things and seek after you with everything in us. I have nothing to offer apart from You, Lord. I have no good in me apart from You. I I feel so unworthy to stand and share. And so, God, please let these be Your words. Let this come from You. Speak through me, and if necessary, speak in spite of me. Let this be a time where people see how good You are. And we can glory in your name and praise you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke 4, starting in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. That is such a fascinating look at the people's response to Jesus. And as I studied this, as I prepared for this, as I was looking at this, it really kind of breaks into two sections. You have the present day, the here and now, where he's actually in Nazareth talking to the people in the synagogue. And then you have the passage that he, he chooses to read in Isaiah in 61. So I want to look at both of those. I want to look at Jesus' present-day conversation with the people in Nazareth. And then I want to look at the passage that he chose to read. Because pay note, he was given the whole scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He intentionally went to that one section. So it seems to me like we should try and figure out, okay, why is he going to this section? What is he talking about here? But first, let's start with... Let's start with the present-day conversation with the people of Nazareth. And there's a couple fascinating things we see in this. And the first thing that we notice is something that Jesus really brings up a couple times in his ministry. And if you, can, if you remember the past couple weeks as we've been in John 4 and John 5, he's actually referenced it twice already. And this is the idea of a now but not yet tension in Christianity. In John 4, Jesus said, The hour is coming and is now here. In John 5, Jesus again said, the hour is coming, and is now here. If you look throughout Scripture, Scripture talks about salvation in both past, present, and future tense. So there is this idea of something in the here and now with still yet more to come. This juxtaposition of the two, and we see it pop up in Jesus' words to the people. Right? He says, he reads Isaiah, Isaiah, and I love, okay, so just understand a little bit about the culture of the synagogue, synagogue culture. So what would happen is all the people would be gathered and you would have your speaker, you would have their leader, and they would come to the front and they would stand to read the Word of God. And it was treated with a far greater dignity because then to speak, to explain what was just read, the teacher, the rabbi, would kind of sit down and take a more casual conversational approach, right? So what's it say? It says he reads the Word in Isaiah... And then it said, in the eyes, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Because this is, keep in mind, you have to always keep in mind the social aspect of the Jewish people. Right? For many Jews, they knew the prophecies about a coming Messiah. But in their minds, they had this idea that the coming Messiah was going to represent political revolution potentially with militaristic overthrow of the Roman government. So they read this passage of freedom for the captive, the oppressed is set free, liberty. I mean, you can feel the eager anticipation of the people. They're like, this is it. We're about to arm ourselves. We're about to rise up and overthrow this Roman government. All eyes were gathered on him. There's that that eager just energy waiting to see what he says next. And then he says... This scripture has been fulfilled today. You know, in my mind, I mean, I don't think there's any evidence of this, but I almost imagine spontaneous applause and cheering like, revolution, it's finally here. We're doing it. Rome is gone. This scripture has been fulfilled. Freedom is here. Liberty is here. The oppressor is gone. And that's how they respond at first. Because that's what Jesus is saying, right? We know that there is still His kingdom to come. But Jesus said the Scripture has been fulfilled today. And so it's important to note this distinction between the now and the not yet, that Jesus has made three separate times in His ministry already, because honestly, I think sometimes, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, I think sometimes Christians get so caught up on the not yet that we forget about the now. We get, and don't get me wrong, we should be focused on heaven. We should be driven by heaven. We should desire heaven. We should yearn for heaven. I, don't, I will never advocate for placing less emphasis on heaven. But it cannot come at the expense of forgetting the now. And so Jesus said the scripture has been fulfilled today. And I think sometimes Christians get so caught up in the promise of what's still coming that we forget what he has fulfilled for us today today. And that's why Christians say things like, well, I'm just, I'm caught in a cycle of addiction. I'm caught in, ang- I'm just an angry person. I'm just, I'm still, I feel like I'm still chained by this. This is still just weighing me down. I'm still this, I'm still that. And we perpetuate in this cycle of death from sin and we forget that no, today this scripture has been fulfilled. This scripture of liberty, this scripture of restor- restoring sight to the blind, freeing the chains. And so please understand in your own life that balance of now and not yet. That Jesus has fulfilled these words, that we have these promises today. And we have the joy and the hope of the perfect fulfillment of heaven. The hour is still coming, right? Jesus said, the hour is coming and is now here when you will worship in spirit and in truth. We should look forward to the hour that is coming when we will worship in spirit and truth, but we cannot forget that the hour is still here today when we must worship in spirit and in truth. And he says this again to these people, and they react accordingly, which brings us right to the second thing, the second aspect of this conversation. They react accordingly at at the start, right? They're excited. They marveled at his words. I mean, it says, it says, they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth, all spoke well of him. Why? Because they just heard this promise fulfilled. We've been promised freedom. We've been promised liberty. We've been promised our sight restored. We've been promised that our broken hearts would be bound up again. And now that's fulfilled. Yes! This is excellent. This is something to celebrate. This is something to marvel at. And then Jesus drops the other shoe. And then Jesus says, hold, hold up. Slow down. What does he say about them? He says, what we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up, when there was a famine. But Elijah was sent to none of them. He was sent to a Gentile woman. And there were many lepers in Israel in the days of of Elisha, But Elisha was sent to none of them. He cleansed Naaman the Syrian. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. Go back to the whole, you've restored our freedom, you've restored our sight. Don't point out, because see, what's Jesus doing here? He says, no, 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 no. Your hearts, you're excited, but your hearts are saying, hey, do what you did in Capernaum, do it here for us. Jesus calls the people out to their face. You're not interested in me. You're interested in what you can get from me. The interesting thing about both of those stories, Elijah with the woman in famine and Elisha with Naaman the Syrian, both of those stories take place in times of severe unbelief and idolatry in Israel's history. And so what Jesus is pointing out to the people is, look, there was this promise, there was this opportunity for food in the famine, there was a promise of healing and it was given to the Gentile because you Israelites wanted nothing to do with God. And so it was given to the Gentiles. Whoa, hey, whoa, Jesus. No, 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 no. Go back to the whole, I get freedom, I get liberty, I get my sight restored. I don't want to hear about how our, our people didn't want anything to do with you so you went to the Gentiles. We're the promised people. Give us the good things. What you did in Capernaum, do it for us. Jesus calls out this attitude. He calls out the attitude of, you don't actually care about me. You just want the miracles. You want the miracles. You want the show. You're not interested in the Messiah. You're interested in what you can get from the Messiah. He calls us out. How do the people respond? The people responded. It says, all were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the cliff where they could throw him down. This was part of the process of stoning. Sometimes they would just take you and throw rocks at you, but frequently they would throw you off a cliff onto rocks, and then they would push rocks down on top of you. The people were all, all were filled with marvel, all spoke well of him as long as he was talking about the good things you could get. But the moment he started calling out their wrong hearts, well now let's go kill him. We don't like the conviction, we want, we want the good stuff, we want the prize. Don't, don't come talk to us about anything that's real, just give us the benefits. Do we do that today with Jesus? Because here's the thing, sometimes we have to hear a hard truth. We have to be willing to. I've said this in past weeks, right? You've seen so many Christians in the past couple months talk about, yeah, if the world would get their act together. No, the Bible always says, if my people would humble themselves, if my people would repent. The people didn't want to hear this. There's a quote. Anybody, any NBA fans? Anybody? Nobody? Anybody heard of the NBA? There we go. We got one hand. Stephen Jackson, former NBA player, Stephen Jackson. In 2019, he was on the FS1 NBA show. And I don't believe that you have to be a famous author or something to be quoted. If you say something worth quoting, I'm going to quote you. So I'm about to quote Stephen Jackson, who by no means is an academic scholar. But he said something brilliant. He was talking about an NBA team, but the principle of what he said is absolutely brilliant. Stephen Jackson said, truth always sounds like hate to people that hate the truth. That's what these people were doing, right? They heard the truth of the fulfillment of promises, and they were there for that. And then they heard the truth of your heart needs to be in the right place. It can't just be about what you can get from me. You have to earnestly desire the Messiah, not just the rewards. They heard that truth and they, ah, we're not here for that truth, Jesus. Let's go stone him. We like the first truth better. We don't get to pick and choose what aspects of Jesus' message we listen to. We must always apply all of it, even when he calls out the Israelites for rejecting God. So Elijah and Elisha went to the Gentiles instead. I mean, Jesus spoke about this. Jesus said in Luke 6, he says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for that's what your fathers did with the false prophets. Jesus knew that he wasn't about popularity. Jesus wasn't about accumulating as many likes as he could. Jesus was about truth. We must be people who are about truth regardless of what that means for how people receive it, regardless of the social, political, whatever. Regardless of how people see it, we must be committed to the truth, not to the reactions of the people listening. Jesus demonstrates that for us. And if that's what we see in the present day, what do we see in this passage that he read? Again, he had the whole scroll of Isaiah and he went to this one specific place. So what do we see in that? Why, I mean, why did Jesus go here when he says, this has been fulfilled? Okay, what has been fulfilled? So for this, I want to turn to Isaiah 61, which is where Jesus read out of. And we're going to read, uh, if you receive our emails, hopefully you saw the email on Monday to read Isaiah 61 every day this week and prepare yourselves for Sunday. We're going to try, I I apologize, we were doing great at that with Psalm 23 of, hey, here's what to read for this coming week. Uh, And I fell away from that over the last couple months, so that's on me. We're going to try and get back to that. So hopefully you were reading Isaiah 61 this week. We're going to read the first three verses and then verse 10. Isaiah 61 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is the passage that Jesus reads and says to the people, this has been fulfilled today. In your hearing, you are hearing the fulfillment of this passage. So, what do we see in Isaiah 61? What do we see in those verses? I think we see three things about what we are offered in Jesus, three things that we are promised in Jesus. We are promised restoration, we are promised rejuvenation, and because of those two, we see rejoicing. And I want to ask us all today to be willing to take a look at our lives. Did those three words describe our perspective on this life? Restoration, rejuvenation, rejoicing. Isaiah 61.1, God offers restoration through Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor... He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus said when he he read this in Luke, Jesus said to restore sight to the blind. There's some translation, some of the scholars disagree on if that phrase is the opening of prison to those who are bound, or if you can also translate it more as a phrase of restoring sight to the blind. And so that's why Jesus said that, but that's how it's written here in Isaiah. But you see, you're restoring of freedom. Restoring of the heart to the brokenhearted, restoring of sight to the blind. God offers restoration in Jesus. He offers it freely because he loves us. And this is a theme. This is really one of the main themes. You you can break the Bible down into four main themes. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And throughout Scripture, as you look at this idea of restoration, to go back to our very first point about the now but not yet tension of Christianity, listen to these verses that all have to do with restoration, but listen to how some of these verses are clearly dealing with the now element of restoration, and some of these verses are clearly dealing with the not yet element of restoration. Jeremiah 30, 17. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. I will restore health to you. Your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. First John 5.4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We have been restored in Christ through our faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation now. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have been restored to newness of life in Christ. John five twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Make no mistake, you cannot get through Scripture without seeing God's eternal promise of restoration in the, purpose of, or in the person of Jesus. So if you're here this morning... And if you're online this morning and you've never heard that before, please know, God offers restoration. God desires restoration. And if you are a believer this morning, don't listen to the lie that you are still slave to sin. Don't listen to the lie that that's still who you are. No. We have been restored. If we have been baptized with Christ in death and raised in newness of life, if we have professed Him to be our Savior... We are restored. We are not that same broken, dead to sin or dead in sin person that we were before Jesus. God offers restoration. And then beyond restoration, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I need to hear that. I need to hear restoration. I need to be remembered that I, or I need to be reminded that I've been restored in Christ. But maybe that's not it. Maybe you're like, no, I, I know that. I know I'm dead to sin. I know the grave no longer has claim on me. I know hell no longer has a claim on me. I know I'm restored. But I got to be honest, Sam, your enthusiasm is a little weird. Like, come on, Sam, you're you're a little off, right? Like, I I just I don't get the highs. I don't get the peaks. I, I mean, I get that there are moments where this is exciting but that's not what I've found in my life. You know, the Christian life is kind of a, yeah, I'm I'm restored, but I don't know. It still seems like things are kind of blah. Still seems like things are kind of mediocre. I know I'm restored, but I don't know. That's kind of it. No. No, friends, you are missing out on so much. If you think that's it, Is the second thing that I see in Isaiah 61, the second thing that I see that God offers and promises through Jesus is not just restoration. God doesn't stop at restoration, God progresses to rejuvenation. And what is rejuvenation? We've all heard that word before. Most of us have probably heard that word. Rejuvenation is the process of making someone or something better, it is the process of making someone or something more vital. It's not just restoring it and then stopping. It's taking it to the next step. Listen to Isaiah 61.3. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Restoration is the removal of the headdress of ashes. Rejuvenation is giving them a beautiful headdress. It doesn't stop at the restoration. An oil of gladness instead of mourning. It's not just restoring and taking away the oil of mourning. It's now giving you the oil of gladness. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. One of my wife's favorite verse, maybe your favorite verse, John 10, 10, number one, top three at least. Top three, number one maybe. John 10, 10, the thief has come to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life, restoration, and have it abundantly, rejuvenation. This is not leaving you at the bare minimum. This is not giving you the dregs from the bottom of the barrel. This is not, well, I hope you can kind of scrape by. No. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Now we're going to get to the elephant in the room. Why is Sam dressed like he's going to a Jimmy Buffett concert? I had two people ask me if I was going to a luau. I had two people ask me if I had tickets to Hawaii. I was the one who said Jimmy Buffett. That made me chuckle. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Let's use our imaginations first. I know adults, we don't really use our imagination. Where are my kids? Kids, you're going to be good at this. Let's use our imaginations. Adults, tap in your inner child. Suppose we had a picnic after this, or some sort of event after this. Suppose there were 100 people more than right now, 200, 300, however many people you want. Suppose our, our sanctuary was filled, our fellowship hall was filled, the crowd was spilling out into the parking lot, and somebody comes up to you. All right, are we tracking so far? We're imagining mass crowds of people. All right, Now imagine someone coming up to you, and they say, Hey, I've never been here before. I know nobody... Not a single person in this crowd will be familiar to me. I'm looking for Sam. Point him out to me. How are you going to describe me on today? We're talking about today. We're talking about this morning. How are you going to describe me to this person who has no idea what I look like? Are you going to say, "Uh, I think he's got brown shoes on? His hair's kind of dark. He might have a watch on? No, what are you going to point out? If someone's looking for me, what are you going to tell? Hey, go look for this. You're going to tell them, go look for this shirt. Go look for this garment. Why? Because the garment is the first thing we see about someone. I walked in this morning and I saw Tim standing up here. I didn't look at Tim and see how his past week had gone. I didn't look at Tim. I couldn't see the high of his past week and the low of his past week. I couldn't look at Tim and see the burden on his heart this morning. I couldn't look at Tim and see the joy on his heart this morning. But the first thing I saw when I looked at Tim was a, oh man, this is where I'm bad at colors. We're gonna call that blue. He's on a blue polo in khakis. I saw Tim's garments, right? The garments are the first thing you see when you look at someone. Also, what is specific about this garment? This is not a garment for blending in. This is not, this is not a garment that will allow me to hide in the crowd. This is not a garment that will allow me to fly under the radar. This is a garment that will stick out. This is a garment that people will take notice of. This is a garment that will easily identify me. Yeah, see where I'm going? Yeah, I see those heads nodding. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Consider the American church. Consider Community Bible Church. Consider, fill in your name, over the past six months, over the political, social upheaval religious dissension and division would you stand out from the crowd over the last six months because you are cloaked in a garment of praise would the American church stand out over the past six months forget the last six months would the American church stand out over the last 20 years because we are cloaked in a garment of praise we lament the lack of church in our culture we lament how people are no longer interested in church we lament how people have stopped coming to church as do I I hate it. I will do everything I can to fight against it. You want to know one of the reasons I think people have stopped showing any interest in church? I think it's because we don't stand out in a crowd. I think there are people who are looking for church. In fact, I know there are people who are looking for truth. I believe God is truth. I think there are people who are looking for something different. But they look at the crowd of the world around them and they don't see any garment that stands out as identifiable, as different from everybody else. That's why my wife let me wear this today. So, thank you for being gracious. Christians, are we cloaked in a garment of praise? I mean, when people look at us, do they see, are you immediately identifiable as different? in your conversations with your co-workers, in your relationship with your neighbors? Is our church identifiable as they are different, they stand out, they are cloaked in a garment of praise? Not a garment of a faint spirit. How does it describe us as cloaked in a garment of praise? That we may be oaks of righteousness. This is where it's awesome having guys like Kyle Hickenbotham in my life because I called him and I said, I know nothing about trees. You do. Tell me about oaks. And Kyle explained, man, an oak, it's got a strong, deep root system. It grows tall. It grows wide. It is hard. It is, you are not going to mess with an oak. It flowers. It bears fruit. It dominates. This is something of might. We are cloaked in a garment of praise. We are rejuvenated We are not just restored. We are rejuvenated so that we may be oaks of righteousness. Can we honestly describe the American church as an oak of righteousness in the American landscape? We can't change the American church. But we can change ourselves. And we can start here. It is... The burden on my heart that this church would be cloaked in a garment of praise, that we may be oaks of righteousness. Why? So that God may be glorified. This is why we are rejuvenated. We are restored, and then we are rejuvenated that He may be glorified. And so maybe, maybe you don't need to hear about restoration this morning, but maybe you need to wonder why your life has felt so flatlined. Maybe you need to remember that you're not just restored. You are rejuvenated in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, for God's glory. And because of this restoration, because of this rejuvenation, what does that bring us to? What is the inescapable conclusion to restoration and rejuvenation as we look at Isaiah 61? Rejoicing. This is Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Exult. That's a strong word. We're not talking about, yeah, I'll mouth the words and... What's for lunch? Oh, we changed songs. We're not clapping anymore. That's not exulting. Exulting isn't, I'll show up at church because that's what you do. I'll show up at church because that's my habit. I guess I have to read my Bible. So, uh, Genesis 1-1, good. Alright, we'll put that away till next Sunday. That's not exalting. My soul shall exalt in my God. Why? Why will I greatly rejoice in the Lord? Why shall my soul exult in my God? For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I will rejoice in God. I will exalt because of my salvation. Not because of my circumstances. Not because of my bank account. Not because of my marriage. Not because of my friendships. Not because of my house. Not because of my job. Are all those wonderful things? Yes. But if any one of those things are your source of exaltation in God, you have missed the point entirely. We exalt because He has clothed us in salvation, because He has robed us in righteousness. Jesus says this to His disciples in Luke 10. This is a fascinating conversation. We're going to get to this in a little bit, but in Luke 10, sneak preview, Jesus has sent out 72 of His disciples. He has sent out 72 of the people following Him. And they come back and they are, they are flipping out. They are so excited. They're like, Jesus, we were casting out demons we were healing people. We were doing these incredible works. This was awesome. And they are celebrating that they were casting out demons and healing people and doing all these things. How does Jesus respond? Jesus says in Luke 10:20, "Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." Psalm 51, 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold uphold me with a willing spirit. Romans 5, 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is why we rejoice. I ask again, could you describe, forget the American church, forget the local church, yourself, could you describe yourself as being cloaked in a garment of praise, a garment of rejoicing as someone, I mean, could you truthfully say, can I truthfully say, I, Sam Belsterling, have exalted in God over the last six months, not because of what's going on around me, but because of my salvation. Is the American church cloaked in a garment of praise? Are we, do we remember that we are clothed in the robes of righteousness in salvation? I expect, I fully expect the world around us to present a garment of bitterness. I fully expect those dead in sin to present a garment of grumbling and complaining. I fully expect those dead in sin to present an outward appearance of division and disunity and divide and hatred and anger and and just I don't like you. I don't like you. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. It's all about me. I expect arrogance in the world. Church have we been cloaked in a garment of grumbling? Have we been cloaked in a garment of complaining? Have we been cloaked in a garment of bitterness and divide? Do you know how, how absolutely devastated I have been talking to, just talking to people about, I was talking to a friend, doesn't, doesn't live here, doesn't, and he was just, he was devastated at seeing people leave his church In the last six months, because they disagreed with some of what the church was doing in terms of seating. I mean, we're not even talking, right? They're they're in an area that's been affected far, far less, so their restrictions have been far, far less. They literally spaced out their chairs, and he had people say, All right, well, we're never coming back. What kind of garment does that present to the world? Has the world been able to look at the Christian in the last six months and seen someone cloaked in a garment of praise who exults in the Lord because of their salvation? I mean, this is what's been fulfilled. This isn't wishful thinking. Jesus said, this scripture today has been fulfilled. I have fulfilled these promises. I have fulfilled the promise of restoration. I have fulfilled the promise of rejuvenation. Therefore, you have rejoicing. This has been fulfilled. I see nothing in scripture that suggests that that fulfillment ended. There wasn't a timestamp stamp on that. Jesus wasn't saying, this has been fulfilled for the next 30 days, and then we're going to go back to unfulfilled promises. So in your life today... The promise of restoration has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus and it is available to you. In your life today, the promise of rejuvenation has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus and it is available to you. And if you have accepted Jesus, if you have acknowledged the truth of the promise of restoration, the truth of the promise of rejuvenation, the only result I see is rejoicing. I see no other conclusion available to the Christian. I really don't. And we see this as Jesus talks to the people of Nazareth. And they don't want to hear it. I pray that we are people who want to hear it. Even if it means we have to adjust our attitude and adjust our behavior. So if you needed, if you needed the first part of that message today, then I invite you to pray this week. Lord, humble me in the face of your truth, even if it's not what I want to hear. If you needed to be reminded of restoration or maybe you needed to hear about restoration for the first time, talk to me. Let's talk about the restoration to newness of life available in Jesus. If you're here today and you have a relationship with Jesus, but it's felt flat and you need to be reminded of rejuvenation, then I challenge you to pray this week, just, God, vitalize me. Jumpstart my heart. Remind me that it's not just you've taken away the ashes, but you've given me a beautiful headdress. Remind me that I'm rejuvenated in you. And regardless of what you needed to hear from that, please let us all pray that we would be people who rejoice and exult in the Lord our God every moment of every day how cool would it be if the world looked at our church and said, man, are you guys all going to a Jimmy Buffett concert? Guys, I want our church to look noticeably different from the crowd around us. I see no other option for a disciple of Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father, Father, we thank You and we celebrate You and we lift up Your name because of what You have offered in Jesus. We thank You that You are truth and we thank You that You are unyielding truth. That You are truth that stands the test of time. That You are truth that endures. That You are truth that shapes and defines. We praise You for this. Lord, we thank You that You offer restoration. We thank You that You take what was broken. You take what was slave to sin and You set us free that you bind up the brokenhearted, that you open the eyes of the blind. We thank you for this. If there are those listening now or later who need to know that, God, please grab their hearts and do not let them go. Give them such a discomfort, such a holy unease that they have to pursue this question of restoration if they don't know you. For those who do know you, God, rejuvenate us. Every day, wake us up and remind us that it is your breath in our lungs. That you have given us life and given us life abundantly. Vitalize your church, Lord. And God, burden us. I mean, burden us to be people of exaltation. Burden us to be people who rejoice in You. God, please, please let the world look at us and let them see a garment of praise. We want to be oaks of righteousness to glorify You. Burden Your people with this.